The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, the 10th chapter. A disciple is not above the teacher, nor a slave above the master. It is enough for the disciple to be like the teacher, and the slave like the master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more will they malign those of his household? So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered up that will not be uncovered, and nothing secret that will not become known. What I say to you in the dark, tell in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim from the housetops. Do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. And even the hairs of your head are all counted. So do not be afraid. You are, you are of more value than many sparrows. Therefore, everyone who acknowledges me before others, I also will acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever denies me before others, I also will deny before my Father in heaven. Do not think that I have come to bring peace on the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and one's foes will be members of one's own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me, and whoever does not take up the cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Those who find their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will find it. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise you, you may be seated. Let us pray. Almighty God, you call us to be your disciples, and you promise to be with us no matter what happens. You promise that in Jesus' name. Amen. Fear. Is there anything stronger in our human experience than fear? We have fear from the moment we are born. We learn that the world is not kind to us and that it's dangerous. We learn to fear the stranger. And unfortunately, sometimes we learn to fear those who are closest to us, the family. Our political leaders have long recognized the power of fear to ensure loyalty of following, even when doing so does not serve our best interest. Fear is a factor behind our economy, and if you don't believe me, just watch the ads on TV. How many times do they directly or indirectly push the idea of fear? So Jesus says to his disciples three times, do not fear. 
I don't think Jesus quite caught what he was saying because he had just told them that they were to be sheep in the midst of wolves, that they were going to be flogged and arrested, that they were going to be betrayed by family members, that they were going to be hated by all. And then Jesus says three times, don't be afraid. Why? Why is he saying, even though bad things are going to happen if we follow Christ, don't be afraid? We need to back up just one step. Crucifixion in the Roman Empire were for those people who were on the margins or who were slaves or who were rebellious foreigners. And so the cross became a dividing power between citizens and non-citizens, socially acceptable from the rejected. I'm going to do a quote from Carter. Jesus' words are a call to choose a way of life of marginalization, to identify with the nobodies like slaves, with those who are named cursed by God. It is to identify with those who resist Rome's control, those who fight against its version of reality. It is to identify with a sign, the cross, that the empire, the Romans' violent and humiliating attempt to dispose of those who challenge Rome's interest. It is to identify the cross not as a symbol of violence, but as a symbol of redemption. The Romans will do its worst in crucifying Jesus, but God raises Jesus from the dead. The Romans are defeated. And Jesus will return to establish God's kingdom over Rome. To not respond to such a call is not to be a disciple. The call is to God first. And anything else is to be for those who are the underdog. So we're back to the text, and we're back to fear. We should fear. Should we fear the one who cares for sparrows, cheap birds? Are we to fear the one who has counted the hairs on our head? There might be some fear because God doesn't keep birds or hair from falling and dying. God's care for the disciples doesn't keep them from persecution or death. But the promise is God is there with us. So we shouldn't be afraid because Even little sparrows, cheap little birds, 
are important. And yet, even though that tells us of God's love, it's difficult to believe that when things are going wrong or we are being persecuted in the world for being followers of Christ. We need to hear God knows. God cares for the cheap little birds and the cheap little hairs on our head. It's a reminder. It's a reminder of God's love for us. It tells us how far God will go. Two sparrows used in the temple offering, sold for a penny. And yet God knows when they fall to the ground. The hairs of our head are numbered. Okay, I won't make a joke about some heads have less hairs to count than others. But it's true. And we're not to be afraid. Because we are worth more than the sparrows. It's a statement of love. It's a statement of the world being turned upside down by God's love. A second grader once asked his teacher, how much does the earth weigh? Teacher looked it up and said, 1,000 trillion metric tons. The boy thought for a minute and knew that that was a lot of weight. And then he said, is that with or without people? In the view of creation, people aren't very important. But in the view of God, who counts airs and watches birds, that's love. But what do we do? We know what happens to sparrows. They fall from the sky. They get sucked up in jet engines. Predators eat them. Storms take their food away. God's love doesn't protect them from the tragedies of this earth. And neither does it protect us from the tragedies of this earth. But mature Christians understand that truth. There are many preachers who speak about Christianity. If you follow Christ, you will have ease and prosperity. But what they don't say is if you're having troubles, then you're doing something wrong. A second mistake. Christianity doesn't say we will be saved from life's problems. Why do the righteous suffer? Why do bad things happen to good people? It's because we live on this earth. So why? Why? What can we deal with this? I think it's a learning process. That funny section about 
family, not having anything greater in our life than God, and family second. That's the lesson we need to learn. We need to have that faith and that love. And God uses our world to train us to look to God first in everything. But here's the second part, the truth. Those preachers who push that if you follow Christ, you will have ease and prosperity, they say that if you're not, then you've done something wrong. But that's not the truth. Life's problems are not punishment for our sins. Got that? Life's problems are not punishment for our sins. You've all read the book of Job, and you know how crazy the story is. Job was a wealthy man. He had a large family, lots of flocks. He was blameless and upright. God allowed Satan to test his faith. And when badness came into Job's life, he tears his clothes, he shaves his head in mourning, and yet he still blesses God. His wife encourages him to curse God and to give up and die. Job curses the day he was born, but he will not curse God. Job's three friends come and in all their great encouragement telling him, you've done something wrong, but Job knows that he has been right, that he believes that his Redeemer lives, that God is with him. He refuses to give up. And his faith is finally vindicated and God blesses him. The point of that story is adversity doesn't come as punishment from God for our sins. Sometimes we blame God. Sometimes we blame ourselves. Sometimes we say God must be using my child's sickness to punish me for some sin. What kind of God is that? How petty God would be to take a helpless child to punish God's parents, the child's parents? A thousand times no. Grief is tragic enough without adding guilt. So how do we deal with the difficulties in our life There's a phrase called the theology of the cross, and that's what explains what's happening. The theology of the cross says that God redeems us by grace. We live under the power and the rule of grace. We believe that when Christ died on the cross, The relationship between God and humanity and the power of sin is changed. We believe because the cross is there 
the believer has his sins forgiven. They're put far, far away in the bottom of the sea. And if you believe that Christ has died for your sins, then you cannot believe that God is using adverse events to punish you. They fight against each other. You believe in one or you believe in the other. And we believe in the theology of the cross, that God loves us and knows that we are not perfect, but makes us perfect by the gift of grace. God's love doesn't protect us from the harsh realities of living on this earth, but neither are those harsh realities of living on this earth punishment for sins. Sparrows fall from the sky, not because they're good sparrows or bad sparrows, if there is such a thing, but they fall because they are part of this world. And that's the good news. The good news is that God watches the sparrow and knows what happens. And the child of God knows that by grace we can bear any burden this world throws at us because we know that we are not alone. I don't know what heaven's going to be like, but I do know what God is like. And it is God who cares for us. The same God who watches the sparrows. The same God that counts our hairs. It's the same God who is with us when difficulties of life test God's faithfulness and test God's love. And the gift by grace is that we will be in heaven, which is to be with God forever. Amen.